Hello and welcome to our new FIS podcast, Castaway, keeping you in the know on the shipping and commodity world where we're all at home quarantined. We know that working and business has changed dramatically in the past couple of months, so developing a range of resources to help keep you up to date on everything happening. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit our website, www.freightinvestorservices.com, or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. FIS is fully functional. Every broker, every office, and every team is ready to help you with pricing, research, and operational assistance. Hello and welcome again to Castaway, the FIS podcast. Uh, first of all, thank you very much to everyone who helped support us on our charity day. Uh, it's great to be able to support the efforts of everyone who's combating this crisis that we're currently in. So thank you again. And first to the introductions. Returning, we have Alex, our MD of Strategy, Kerry from home, our head of business development, and Tom all the way from Singapore. And we have another special guest this week. We have the manager of Burnley Football Club, Sean Dyche. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Good morning. Thanks. Good morning, Chris. So I guess where we have to start this week, it is the only question in the commodity market, really. It is about oil. Uh, we have had a lot of people writing articles, loads and loads of questions about it. Tom, can we start with you? What the hell has been going on with, with WTI, that contract, that May contract that went negative? How is that even possible? <laughs> well, I think a lot of people would have uh, argued uh, prior to this that it wasn't possible. Uh, we've never seen anything like it before and possibly won't ever see anything like it again uh, in our lifetimes or hopefully hopefully not anyway. Uh, but essentially what seems to have happened is that there's been a huge uh, squeeze on um, storage capacity for oil uh, over the last few weeks as, as demand has just disappeared um, from the global economy down about 30 to 40 percent refinery demand at least. Uh, which has meant that producers have had to uh, be store find find avenues to store oil, and, and the, the main the main place for storing oil, Cushing, in Oklahoma, uh, is up about seventy percent capacity at the moment and filling up fast, and is anticipated to to be at capacity by mid to end of May. Uh, so with the May contract expiring um, yesterday uh, on Monday. Um, I think the market realised what was happening and as it's a physically settled contract, uh, people suddenly realised that they had nowhere to put this oil uh, and were having to pay a premium to get rid of oil, pay people to take take it off their hands, which is something that we've never, ever seen. Um, and, the problem... and, this contract, and this contract, sorry to just butt in, is, is there something different about this contract compared to Brent? And it, it's physically settled and that's yes, what's the real problem here. It, Yes, yeah, so it's a physically settled contract. So unlike the Brent, which is cash settled, uh, and you know, essentially the 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 two counterparties of the trade settle that in cash terms. If you hold this contract to expiry, you are required to take delivery of it in a three week period beyond this uh, beyond the settlement date. Uh, and with with there being absolutely no storage capacity anywhere in the world at the moment, uh, or or it getting thinner and thinner, um, the prospect of actually being able to do that was uh, started to people started to realize that it may actually be an impossibility um, so this this forced the price lower and lower and lower CME the the main exchange that clears the the WTI contract announced midway through the trading day that they would allow the contract to go negative 
Uh, and at that point, it, it flew through the zip. It flew through the lowest it had ever been, just above ten bucks. Flew through ten dollars, and then and then ended up below forty two, forty two, forty dollars at one point, uh, and closed just around the thirty seven mark. Uh, it recovered the day after, back to around back to around a level of zero. Um, so it does does appear to be a sort of financial squeeze, um, but the 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 fundamentals that have borne out really do highlight the. The, the sort of demand squeeze that we've seen. And, yeah. and what is interesting, I think, as well, is that we haven't really, we've seen equities come off aggressively since this started, but there's been a small to, to sort of medium-sized recovery. Um, but is is this what's happened in oil the last the last couple of days? Is it a sort of forebearer to what we what we can really expect to the rest of the global economy? Um, because oil is is very much a bellwether for the health. I guess of it's the economy. first. I guess it's the first warning signs of of what could really really be a quite terrible situation. Oil. I mean, Brent has lost around eighty percent of its value this year alone, and. Alex, we've been seeing some things happening in the US about the president announcing some support for the US industry because it's been so catastrophic this fall. Absolutely. Well, I think like most of us uh, around the world now, we, we keep an eye out for the tweets that come from the president of the United States and you're never entirely sure which direction they're going to come from, but inevitably they help to support or can look to support US oil prices and US oil companies. Um, he is putting measures in place to support the economy as a whole and they do seem to be focused on the energy sector how realistic they are and how they're delivered uh, will remain to be seen, really. Yeah, and we're still seeing a huge amount of future problems. I know that the API have come out uh, last night and saying that there's going to be another 13 million barrel building crude again for the US. So this is not some sort of situation which is just going to disappear, as Tom was talking about. This is the start of what could be future ramifications and you wanted to come in again tom well i think what we were talking about last week chris was compliance to the opec plus cuts and and, and how you know it, that sort of compliance would be hugely important to to keep trying to prop up prices uh but now prices are sort of 20 bucks lower than we were talking about last week uh albeit on the on the spot month um, the chances of that compliance actually coming to fruition are smaller and smaller as uh, sort of global economies that are entirely reliant on on uh, on oil dollars to to prop up the, to to fund their whole economy have now got to weigh up the decision of do we try and generate any income by flooding the market with what we've got versus trying to prop up prices to so that compliance that we were talking about as being so so important last week is looking uh, less and less likely now without some serious sort of global cooperation, which, as we've seen and discussed in the past, is, uh, is, is rare. But to pick up on the point about the problem of storage, there has been one sector that has positively benefited from this, and that has been the, the tanker market, because we have what happened in 2014 is, is happening again in terms of floating storage, using those tanker ships to store oil instead of onshore. I mean, I reference TD3 May value, uh, which is the route between the Arab Gulf and China. Rates are now above $40 per metric ton. I mean, this is one of the positive stories of, of, of a market, commodity market that's really benefiting in terms of owners of these, which is pushing up rates, pushing up time charter rates, um, which has been really good for them. Uh, but to move on to the contra to that, 
markets which have fallen because of this oil crisis. Kerry, let's bring you in on this. Uh, let's start off with iron ore, shall we? What, uh, what's been happening in there in the market? Well, the iron ore price was actually quite well supported last week. It even jumped initially uh, after uh, after the weekend when Vale lowered their 2020 full year production guidance from uh, by about 20 million tons down to 310 to 330 million metric tons. That is not far off last year's number. Uh, and we had expected an improvement this year as they got facilities back online following their damn disaster at the start of last year. However, this actually reflected lowered output in Q1, not an intention to continue to cut production later in the year. And of course, this oil price shock then came in and lowered sentiment across the market. That paired on iron ore as well with a domestic Chinese steel overhang that we've talked about several times on this podcast that is continuing to sit there. Last week, domestic Chinese steel purchases actually fell 30,000 tons week on week. 229k, indicating that the bounce back, I think many people had sentimentally counted on is not quite yet ready to happen in terms of uh, downstream steel demand there. And then in terms of dry freight, we've seen similar kind of negative attitude with both physical and paper coming off. Yeah, the dry freight was actually more negatively affected directly by the oil price fall. Uh, It actually means perhaps somewhat counterintuitively, that the vessels, particularly the capes, can stop slow steaming. They can sail at full speed as the freight price, uh, as the fuel price collapses. And that makes the fleet far more efficient, meaning there are more ballasters available coming from China to Brazil to pick up those iron ore cargoes. So despite the fact that Vale in particular has been quite busy chartering ships uh, to, to export, try and get those export numbers to China up, the freight price has been coming off quite sharply this this week, uh, all week long. The Panamaxes are following the same trends as the Cape as well, following them down. Very little new inquiry, feeling a bit overtonnaged. And again, with that oil price falling so, so quickly, the owners are far happier to steam at normal speeds. Yeah, And Tom, to, to bring you on on the iron ore, is there anything you wanted to, to add for, to Kerry's comments at all? Um, not, not necessarily. No, no. I mean, the the Vale news was the sort of big news, as as Kerry mentioned. Uh, but also, I think one of the the, the other things that has has highlighted uh, over the last couple of days is that inventories are starting to come off. Not necessarily quite as quickly as we had been hoping for, but there there has been a notable reduction in portside inventories. Um, so the 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 evidence that the market is is coming back to life is is there maybe not as as quickly uh coming back as quickly as we had sort of anticipated but we are seeing the both the the port side and the, and the steel inventories being being eaten into quite quite quickly now but not necessarily as quickly as we had uh, we had hoped so i think the or um, uh, i think i think um the oil shock aside um the the the, the story on iron ore, I think, is one of a continuation of what we've been seeing uh, for the last few weeks. Cool. I'm fly, flying on through to uh, avoid a, a bad pun. Carry on to the air freaks. I know that there's some things which you have been developing this week, which are... Absolutely. Absolutely. There has been some big news on the air freight this week. Uh, Baltic Exchange, uh, the benchmark provider, of course, across all the dry and wet freight routes, has now taken over as the benchmark administrator on air freight as well endorsing the TAC index. 
uh, this takes us a big step closer to a liquid and eventually a cleared air freight futures market uh, to allow people to hedge on this highly volatile market. Uh, that's probably a good thing, given the uncertainties looking forward. Uh, as we mentioned last week, medical supplies have been supporting the price, particularly from China to Europe, with a number of carriers booked out at full capacity through the end of June. However, there is now this open question, you know, as the PPE shipments start to reduce, as hopefully all our countries begin to cross the peak uh, of this uh, of this outbreak, you know, will there be enough demand for the mainstays of the air freight market, technology, automotive parts, aerospace parts, clothing, for example, to, uh, to replace all of that space that's now being taken up by medical supplies, or will we see a sudden collapse in the air freight market? Uh, as the PPE bookings disappear and the economy enters a deep, deep recession. And I think this is, this is the open question. So uh, I would say, if anything, it's a very good thing that we're inching closer to a, a highly usable and hedgeable air freight futures market. Very good. Uh, so to put some context on where oil prices are at the moment, I mean, Brent dropped again down to around $16 this morning. But let's go back to October 2012 was when Sean became manager of Burnley Football Club and the Brent price then was around $109. So let's drop in to our first question to Sean. Thank you again for joining us this morning. Um, we're talking about this crisis and you as a manager of, of a team of, of people have gone through multiple crises yourself and just wanted to start by asking you, you know, what are the things which you've previously used or uh, how are you dealing with this crisis? Is it similar to previous ones or is this something quite unprecedented? Yeah, this is unprecedented. It's, it's new ground for all, I think. Um, you know, usually in my world of football management, it's results, threat of relegation, uh, which we've been through. We've been through actual relegation um, and remodeling, replanning to move forward. So this is, this is new ground for all of us, I think. Um, one thing I know from in my world crisis is staying calm it's, it's not easy but you know we go back to basics we go back to the things that you've built what well, the things that you should have built as a company that stand you in good stead through all and that's the point in putting in them foundations them strong foundations so you know we certainly use that um, as wisely as we can to make sure we're still in good shape coming out the end of this i guess it's the the old saying fail to prepare and you prepare to fail that kind of making sure you have everything in place all the systems um, to make sure that you're going through whatever could come come next. Uh, yeah, are you, I mean, are you seeing? Sorry, that's probably no. That's probably helpful. So to give you a view, it's it's probably helpful in in my world of football management, which is quite rare. I've been at Burnley Football Club seven and a half years, just over now. So you know we've managed to put in that time a lot of principles of how we work, a lot of protocols, a lot of planning for all the different departments, whether it's sports science, medical, analytics. So. When this came, we, if you go, I mean, we haven't got a, during this period, we're not looking at restructuring, reorganizing. We're actually looking at the, the, the basic principles of what we do, reminding each other that that's what it's there for. You know, the, the standard we've set, the, the foundations we put into all of the different departments. We can run in the background remotely somewhat to keep that organization. We can keep the players on board with that because they've got a, a strong awareness of how we work. So in theory, when, it starts to open up again, 
we can, I wouldn't say seamlessly because we don't know what this is going to bring, but I think the, the players have a strong awareness of how we work, so therefore we can get back into it very quickly. And that's certainly the hope anyway. And we have now a question from Alex. Right, sure. Thanks very much for doing this this morning. Um, my question is a bit of a sports nausea one, but I'll, I'll do my best to try that's and make right. it exciting. Uh, so this, there's this theory out there sort of proposed by Malcolm Gladwell that 10,000 hours gets you to a stage of near perfection or sort of sporting nirvana. Do you subscribe to that or do you think there's potentially shortcuts or better way to go about getting closer to perfection than spending 10,000 hours repeating the same thing? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot about that. Then there was another um, writer who, who, who kind of went strong on the idea of 5,000 hours. I mean, the the principle behind it, you know, some people have, have a, a natural talent towards whatever, you know, business they're in. That is obviously helpful. Others have to work very hard at pushing that talent. So they might have some talent, but it's pushing that talent. So I don't yeah. think it's set in stone that it's 10,000 hours. You know what I mean? I was watching an interview the other day about the difference between Ronaldo and Messi. Now, there's, there's old videos you can find of Messi when he's very, very tiny. And he's dribbling through about 17 people, you know, a 20-foot high, you know what I mean? So, yeah. And then you look at Ronaldo, and he's renowned for working on every part of his game, harder, longer than any other player. So I think there's different trains of thought. I think that applies to anything in life, though, I think. You know, you you know, kids who are great in music, kids who are great in you know, even in technology. You know, they they offer on them, you know, on their laptops all day long. So I think there is a there's a common sense view of maximising talent through sheer work, and then yeah. there is a you know, there's another view of maximising your talent because there's a natural feel for it, and therefore pushing that talent in a different way. And and I think everyone. The idea is to find a way, but the best way usually is to work really hard at what you're doing. You know, I don't think there's any substitute for that. I think anyone who's very talented and very, very elite performing or very successful, usually there is a tale behind that success that suggests they've worked very, very hard and sacrificed a lot to be that good at whatever they're doing. All right. Nice. Thank you very much. No worries. And next to Tom. Um, yeah, I think uh, for me, Sean, um, be very interested uh, to know your thoughts on managing a team remotely at the moment. Obviously, uh, when you're in the changing room with them sort of week on week and on the training pitch, it's quite easy to motivate, incentivize. Um, but how are you sort of dealing with that with that? Like we talked about earlier, there's, there's no goals of winning at the weekend at the moment. How are you keeping the team motivated from a remote? Yeah, we, we've kind of, yeah, we've kind of pre, pre-framed this, this period as kind of a downtime like they have in the summer. So when the season ends, usually the first few weeks, the players are go away. Now, obviously, there's, there's certain things they can't do quite. Obviously, they can't socialise, they can't go away physically on holiday. But it'd still be a down period. So we were slightly in front of the curve in our thinking where when this first started, there was this guideline of kind of, you know, two to three weeks. We were thinking that's not going to happen. We were thinking it was going to go a lot longer. So therefore, we said to the players have kind of 12, 14 days of just making sure the family are well. Um, choose what you you know, you know wish if you want to go out on a bike or you want to go for a walk. But there wasn't um, a level that we were expecting them to hit. So after that, there was a period where we started just easing it forward and there was a plan put to them that this is part of the plan now. And then just literally over the last few days, we've added in their GPS unit so we can actually monitor what they're doing. And now we're asking them to 
start pushing ourselves a bit harder, but only three times a week, not every day or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to guide them back into the the physicality side, but also the, the mental and emotional side. You know, none of us quite know how this is going to come out of this period, but what we what we are being told is there's a strong chance, for example, that we're going to play behind closed doors. Now that is a strange situation, trust me. You know, I played yeah. for 20 years and, and yeah. like reserve games compared to first team games, there's all kinds of science behind it. You know, there's less testosterone in the body because you haven't got that that anxiety, that thrill, that buzz that comes from playing in front of a crowd. So there's all these things that are going to go into the mix. To prepare for that, we will probably use our stadium uh, empty, of course, and train in the stadium with it empty just to get a feel, you know, to get an emotional feel for how that is. Sure. Um, because that could be a surreal moment when you're playing for so much because the Premier League is a big thing and it, you know, not just the kudos to the folks who are winning, the feel-good factor, but also the finance. Um, but you're doing that in front of no one, you know. So, yeah. and often players need, they need that edge. They need that drive that it is. On the other hand, there will be, and it's very likely that all games will be televised. So, therefore, that brings a different feel as well where players know in the background that it is getting televised and therefore they've got to be you know, on their performance level. So we're going to have to go through that as we go. It's going to have to be the shifting sands of, you know, how they feel and what, what it's like. And within that, just the usual stuff I've learned about, you know, Zoom calls and, you know, things I haven't used very much in the past. So we've done that to make sure the players are well. I do think emotionally um, for footballers, because they're outside a lot, the weather's been great. That is an advantage because, you know, there's that slight better feel-good factor with the weather being good. You're out for a run or you're out on your bike or whatever. Um, so really try not to overthink it try not to overload them because the world is overloaded with information and constant talk of death and and I don't think that's a positive you know so they're not really telling us that people are surviving very much it seems to be everyone who gets this dies immediately you know so I think there's this this kind of softening off bit where we go lads look just make sure you're in the front bit well first and we'll keep you informed on what's going on in the background getting ready to go back to to the task that's in front of us, hopefully. And, and in terms of getting them ready to go back to the task at hand, like obviously they've not been not been training. How how long is it going to take to get the team back up and ready in terms of fitness well, and strategy? Like, yeah, I was saying I was saying in an interview yesterday that exceptional times and ex- you know exceptional circumstances need exceptional measures. So therefore, if if the if the powers that be suggest we've got to have a short pre-season to get these players ready. I think the players have accepted. They go, yeah, okay, we get it. This is strange times. If they, if they therefore then say the nine games have got to be played in a certain period of you know whatever five weeks, I think the players go, oh, okay, that's that's the way it is. You know, I think I think they're a lot more flexible, um, or certainly our group. I can't speak for footballers everywhere, but I think our group would be quite flexible now, and I think they'd be willing to. You know, the, the key to actually is getting a heads up. So if they said, you know, um, which they haven't, by the way, just to be clear, if they said like. May the 15th, we are definitely allowed to go back. Well, we could start behind that. We could start pushing them now, getting ready for that. So the earlier heads up means that there's a shorter pre-season. If, like, one day they suddenly say, right, tomorrow you can go to work, obviously that's a lot more difficult because you haven't had that period to to get them back up to where they need to be. Because obviously it's a highly physical game, so therefore the physicality and the mentality have to be linked together to make sure you get an optimal performance or as close to what you can get. Yeah. Awesome. And to Kerry, your question. Yeah, well, I mean, we've had a lot of talk about how this is a unique experience that we're all in uncharted waters, but I do want to ask you, Sean, if uh, if there's any specific previous experiences as a manager that you have been drawing on or you can draw on to guide 
in this current situation uh, and that you think are useful, useful lessons for moving forward here? I think the only thing that stands out for us, we, we've spoken to the players a lot over the years that I've been there about automaticity. So the idea of being when you when you train right, when you practice right, when you perform right, you look after yourself, you're professional in everything you do in your life. We want to push that until it becomes an automatic response. So therefore, you wake up in the morning, you're already mindsetting yourself for the day that comes. You're doing that on a daily basis. You're training right. You're doing everything right until it just becomes normalised. And as we all know. When something is quite dramatic in your life, once you get a handle on it and it becomes normalised, you actually see it as being, no, this is just my life. So we talk a lot to the players about that. This might pay us back, we don't know yet, because with all this this sort of new thing that's going on in the world, um, we're hoping they drop back into that thinking because we work at a high level all of the time. So that's one thing that we think is important throughout this strange sort of time. Um, yeah. beyond that, you know, to, to realise that, look, the reason why you've put all that work in for all them years is it will switch back on quickly because you have been maximising yourself and doing it right all of that time or for the majority of that time. So that's one thing I think is important in these times is, you know, if you, if you work properly and appropriately and professionally all of the time, you don't really need to flick a switch to switch it back on. It will just be there because it's ingrained in your your muscle memory, your, your psych- uh, psychology memory, you know, you will just you will just go back into that automatic mode. So we've spoken to the players about that and reminded them of that. Okay. And then back, thank you. Back around to uh, Alex again. Right, sure. Just my last question for today is um, recruitment. So obviously, that's a big cornerstone for any establishment, sports club, business in the city, whatever it might be. And, you know, it's a big focus here at FIS recruitment. And in your opinion, do you have a formula for identifying potential? We, I think there's, there's so much talk out there, you know, that the, the analytics has become massive as, as in most um, uh, businesses now, um, certainly in your business. But, it, it, you know, it's gone in the But you've got to remember, you're not like you're analysing, say, commodities. We're analysing human beings. It's a whole different ballgame. So <laughs> you can Fair only... Enough. You can only analyze through a screen so much. You know, at some point, it's kind of like that weird thing that we'll all have. So you probably know this, but psychologists say that when you meet someone, you make up your mind within about four to seven seconds. Um, you know, so if that's the case, you have to you have to physically see someone. Well, then it's fair to say that if you analyze someone through a computer screen, it's not the same as being in a stadium, seeing them from you know pretty short distance. So. You know, you need that connection. So what we have found with recruitment is that we can recruit through a screen. We can do all the analytics. Um, you probably know the story of Billy Bean and all that sort of stuff, you know, and finding players through pure analytics. In football, it's a lot different. You know, people have tried that, and it doesn't quite work as easy as that. So therefore, we found that analytics is one thing, but you do need to get eyes on the road. You do need to physically see players or have a, a real depth of knowledge about their background and we've tried to use that particularly in the UK because, you know, Burnley Football Club is a club that's run pretty hard on the finance, which which strangely is sort of paying us back now. We're in really good shape, but we don't tend to stretch much. So therefore, do the board members of Burnley Football Club really want me to go out and sign loads of foreign players we don't know that much about and take the risk? No, they don't. And yeah. I have to carry the can for that because a lot of people do question me, oh, why don't you sign foreign players? And I say, well, because the club don't really want to make them mistakes. So therefore, we tend to go for players we know a lot about. We've done a lot of analytics. We might know all of their past or a lot of it. I mean, you know, Chris Wood, for example, we paid £15 million for our striker. 
I knew a player who played with him when he first came on the scene at 18. I knew a coach who worked with him at 18. I knew a coach who worked with him at 20, 23, 24. Did all that background, put it together in a package and said, right, this is a player who suits us. That's easier to do with players you know from the UK. You might have known them since they were 14, 15, 16 as players. Not so easy to do if you go into foreign markets. And then, of course, you've got the cultural shift, you know, the, the, the way they develop into the, the, the UK way of life. And especially in Burnley, by the way, for, I presume you know this, it rains and it rains and it rains. And then when it's not raining, it rains again. So there is a bit of psychology to it. You've got to be aware of that. You've got to realise that that's going to be a different part of the country to live in. All right. Cheers. And, and Kerry, I think you've got a question on facilities. Is that right? Yeah, actually, it just occurred to me when you mentioned um, about how you choose to run the club uh, in a fairly efficient way. I mean, how do you think investment in state-of-the-art facilities matters and what part of your success do you think uh, comes out of that investment in, in facilities? Well, it certainly mattered to us um, Back when I first got there, our first promotion, they'd been promoted before, a few years before, and they basically put all the money on the pitch and, you know, hoped that that worked, and it didn't work. So when we got promoted the, the first time with me, you know, there was a board decision, including myself, quite heavily, that I yes. said, look, you can't, you can't have that again. You've got to have something that's actually put in place for now and for the future. So we took the gamble of not putting the money on the pitch and building a, a pretty... I wouldn't say state-of-the-art, but it's a very, very good training ground. I mean, for a club like Burnley, a fantastic training ground, actually. And we took the yeah. risk on that. And then we, we we didn't stay up that season, but we managed to get back up to the Premier League the next season. And, of course, the second time round, we're in a whole different place. You know, the, the bills were paid. We had a state-of-the-art facility, or, or as close as you can get for a club like Burnley. And we put a lot more structure in place. And I think it's very, very important in the modern game of any sport, actually, because, you know, and in fact, any workplace. I mean, it, you think in our world, we're in the we're in the training ground 95% of the time. It's only 5% of the time you're actually at the main ground. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of time spent there by the players. So if you make it a, a high-level environment and a high-level structure and, and physical building, then there's an chance that that increases the professional standards, you know, and it pushes them standards. Um, we actually had to find the level, to give you an insight, we had to find the level between making it very... Um, smart, very efficient, very uh, professional-minded, user-friendly, without making it like a health club. You know, because the psychology changes. You know, if it's if it's too nice, you get players bowling in with their you know pipe and slippers, going, "Ah, oh, look, just going to bowl around today. We'll have a nice jacuzzi." <laughs> you know, so we had to actually pull back on some things and make sure that even though it's got a nice feel, it, it's, you know, it's not so um, luxurious that players get the wrong end of the stick and they start getting confused. And so that was a balance for an insight. That was the balance we had to find. But strict, you know, simple answer over all of that is that I think facilities are very, very important. The better you can treat your workforce, the better chance you've got about good, getting good performance and good work from them. Oh, luckily, we've got that on a recorded line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can, you can throw that at John B. You can throw that in and say, by the way, your gaffer at Burnley was telling us we want all of this good stuff, so any chance? <laughs> I'm sure he'll be. I'm sure he'll be buzzing that I've told you that. <laughs> exactly. I can't, I can't wait for the podcast next week where we'll be recording from our professional uh, radio studio, studio yeah. um, with top quality, <laughs> quality, and everything. Um, obviously, moving on to more of a, a, the lighter side of things, Tom. 
you have another question. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, according to, or depending on which uh, sort of football rag you read, uh, you're either the fourth or fifth best manager to go out for a beer with. Um, once we're allowed back in the pub after this lockdown is over, who would you who would you uh, choose from either the Premier 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 League or elsewhere to be going for a beer with when we're allowed back in the pub? Well, first of all, I got sent that by one of our directors, Brendan Flood, and I was wholeheartedly disappointed. Um, how I'm not number one is just beyond me. Uh, you know, people know about my penchant for uh, music and festivals and mosh pits. So I thought, well, that's a pretty good start for a night out. Um, anyway, that aside, that aside, uh, and I'm not sure I have a pint either. So that always increases the capacity of a night out, I found. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, do you know what? It's, it's probably simple for me because... I've never really lost track of my my past. So a lot of my like true friends from old, I still see, you know, not not all the time, obviously, but we have a meet and we have like an Indian night, a curry night, where we'll go have four or five beers, possibly more you can imagine, and a curry, and uh, and just tell the same old stories and the same old, you know, the, the fish got a bit bigger than we remember, et cetera, et cetera. That not being a fish, as you can imagine. Um, and... <laughs> And, you know, it's just that kind of scenario where it's really simplistic, really old school, but it's honestly, we have brilliant fun doing it. So we haven't been able to do that. That's a simple one. As regards, look, I mean, as regards the professional side of things, I get on very well with my staff. Um, you know, we have the odd night out just as a sort of bonding night. Things like really simple things, you know, not, I'm not really, and I like to dip my toe in a bit of a crazy one now and again, but to be honest, with all this lockdown, I'd be happy to just have a few friends you know, either down the pub or around my garden and we just crack on and, and just feel normal again, you know, because this has been such an odd time. So nothing grandiose. That would come later. The simple one first and then and then the map one second. <laughs> oh, I look forward to reading about it in the, in the press. <laughs> well, no, I, tend to, I tend to not do that side of things anymore. I can't remember the last time. The last time I was bouncing around a mosh pit properly was a long time ago. Trust me, I tend to not get that. People get them cameras out and they start filming you and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, I tend to not get involved in that nowadays, but there was a time. There was a time. <laughs> I've also been asked by one of our, one of our brokers, Sean. Are you still managing to maintain a textbook goatee during the during the lockdown? Yeah, I've done all right with that. I got to be honest. I grew it out a couple of times just out of boredom. I grew my hair as long as it's been in ages, and, and my beard. But then I started doing a load of media stuff because I was in the in the in the immediacy of it. Everyone went a bit quiet for well. There was a, there was a couple straight away, and then it went quiet for a while. So. I had a bit of a beard going on and quite a woolly head. But then when you do the media, you think, nah, I've got, to, I've got to tidy myself up a bit. So the goatee stays. Uh, it's been there since I was 23, I think. Oh, so that stays. Um, yeah, yeah. well, that's the problem. You do get a bit of that thing going on where people... So just give you a silly insight. So now and again, in the summer mainly, I, like we'll have friends over on the barbecue and we'll have a couple of couple of scoops and I'll, I'll disappear and I'll shave it off and I come back down and they're all doing that weird thing where they're looking at me and they can't quite work out what's different and then they just burst out laughing and go you you go it's gone um, so because nowadays it grows back in five or six days probably so I have done that yeah. a few times and it, it always gets a giggle so uh, yeah that, that's that's when it comes off but it's it's quite rare and I've shaved off for charity and stuff like that so uh, yeah yeah but it but it tends to stay and I, I manicure it wisely I would say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, many of us have been at home with uh, lots more spare time Sean is there anything or any new skill or anything that you're learning while you're uh, in lockdown not quietly been learning uh, Mandarin or anything no definitely not um, I've, I've more been reminding myself I always I always, when I was a player you had a lot more time on your hands and I used to cook a lot so I've, I've been cooking quite a bit um, I've been going through the 
like I'm fortunate enough in the role that I have that people buy you nice presents and often it's alcohol. So I've been going through a couple of nice bottles of red, um, a couple of bottles of shampoo with the missus that's been good. Um, technology, I must say, because, you know, not being funny, but we have analysts, so they normally set up things for me. Um, so I've got a, a bit more of a handle on, you know, what we're doing now on Zoom and um, Microsoft Teams and things like that. So that's been pretty good. You know, for me, on a serious note, time with my kids because I live in two different places I'm away a lot so time with my kids quality time with my kids you know just they're 15 and 17 so they're young adults now so they you know you can get a bit more depth from them about what's going on their feelings on it what's happening at school well for one of my children what's happening at school online learning so I've actually enjoyed that side of things so I don't think there's anything particularly new I'm not searching for anything new um just reminding myself of some of the stuff that I don't get time for anymore and of course the jet washer. I have jet washed everything, including jet washing the jet washer. So, you know, it's just been that kind of back to menial tasks. I actually quite enjoy now and again, it taking mine off things. And yesterday I cut down a tree, for example, or I cut it back. So uh, climbing up a tree, my missus going, what are you doing? If you fall out of that, you've got to go to the NHS and they're under enough pressure. So that was enough to make me come down from the tree and remind myself of the realities that I'm 48 now and not 18. There we are. Uh, any other questions from people while we uh, throw it open to final uh, final questions? Nothing from me. No, we've covered the range. Sean, what's the uh, ambition on the rest of the season uh, if it if it happens? Is it? Yeah, we're we're in good shape. We'd, well, we we certainly we're in good shape. We uh, we're seven unbeaten. Um, I think I must have one of the longest runs of manager of the month, so I've been buzzing off that. If they let this go a little bit longer, that'd be helpful, you know, just to make sure I stay <laughs> manager of the month without playing any games. Um, no, I mean, it's to build on where we left off. We were, we were in good shape. That you could feel it in the air. You know, the players were performing very well. Um, I think it's to build on that or, or, or rebuild on that, obviously, and, and try and come away... Uh, from this with that renewed kind of feeling of joy what it is to be involved in football because sometimes we it, 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 it's a tough business believe it or not it looks all glamorous but it's a tough business and it's tough yeah. for the players a lot of stress there's a lot of expectation to have that sort of weird downtime and almost remind yourself you know the world's had a proper jolt and, and you know remind yourself look let's be careful you know not to start moaning about everything when life's pretty good so maybe that will play its part in bringing that renewed energy and that edge. Um, and therefore, we want, to, we want to perform well. I mean, you know, every game's a big game for us, so we just want to perform well and take on the rest of the season. You know, hopefully it'll carry on and get it finished in, in as strong a form as we can and see where that ends up. Awesome. Well, uh, well a good day for Burnley is always a good day for FYS. So, uh, so fingers crossed. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And um, in a few years, when you've won the Premier League and the Champions League, of course, um, when you move on to a new career, perhaps something like broking would suit you. I mean, you have all the skills, the making uh, relationships with people. You have the technical analysis. Is that something you would consider working again for John B? Well, in reverse order, I've actually, I did a talk for John B in Geneva and I had a night out with a few of the staff. So I also think I can just about hang on with a few of them guys because they were having a right go. Um, <laughs> so reverse order that first. I, mean, I could probably handle that. Um, John, John, joking about. I've been, I've been down to his offices. I have got a, I mean, look, a real basic level of knowledge. Um, I am quite intrigued by it. Um, what you, what you all do, and, and you know, I play around with bits and bobs and stock market and stuff like that, but not with enough depth. Um, John, as you know, quirky character, but he's, he's sort of got that genial streak in him about numbers and facts and figures, and but he thinks everyone else knows that. So what he does, he bombards me with about four thousand bits of information in about three seconds, and expects me to absorb it all. So I do that John B thing where I just put my thumb up and nod at him. 
Yeah, yeah, good, good. <laughs> so, uh, it's fair to say to get to anywhere near what you guys do, it'll take me a while, I think. But I have got an outside interest in it. I'm intrigued by some of how it works. So uh, who knows? Who knows what the future will bring? Oh, we'll take it as a tentative yes. And I know exactly what you mean <laughs> about being bombarded by John as the four sheets of questions I've been given. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. But, yeah, he's top man. He's top man, to be fair. We, we can't run the podcast on for uh, over two hours. So... Um, as, as oil prices drop to negative levels and come back again, uh, we finish this week. And uh, thank you again, Sean, for answering our, our questions and listening to our analysis at the start. And thank you guys for returning, um, Alex, Kerry and Tom. So for everyone, see you and uh, hope you're well. And uh, hopefully you will join us again for next week. And hopefully we'll have a great new special guest as well.